0: is a podcast that tackles the sometimes difficult conversations around prison abolition. I'm Crystal.
1: And I'm Graham. This season is about the media's involvement in carceral or abolitionist thinking.
0: How it uses narratives to impact, radicalize, and shift culture.
1: Just a reminder, friends, though the title of this episode may give you some warning, remember that harm itself tends to create situations of alternate harms.
0: There will likely be other painful topics brought up too. Take care of you. about mass shootings. Today, we're joined by author, attorney, and SiriusXM XM host, Kasim Rashid.
1: We're excited that you're here with us. Uh, We know you have a lot of experience talking about this in various ways, Uh, TikTok, Twitter, and articles that you've written. Uh, Mass shooting and how the media represents it is such a heavy topic. What has been your experience talking about this? And are people receptive?
2: You know, I've been fortunate. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, Really appreciate this. I think this kind of advocacy and elevating these conversations is a critical component to bringing about this promise made in our founding documents of a more perfect union, one built on justice. And that is my North Star when I talk about these things. So we're talking about mass shootings, for example. My, My North Star is how do we uphold justice I know there's some on the left who say we should ban all guns altogether. I'm not in that camp. Uh, I perfectly understand the need to have a firearm for self-defense. I don't think guns are inherently bad or evil. I also believe that the other side, that there should be no limit whatsoever, is also absurd uh, and uh, detrimental, as the data and evidence proves. We've gotten to a point now where we're suffering hundreds of mass shootings a year, and we've become so desensitized to it that I fear what's gonna happen in the next generation, what's gonna be the next escalation. Uh, I was in high school when Columbine happened. And I remember thinking two things. One, what a horrific atrocity that kids my age were gunned down and murdered for no other reason than being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the second thought I had was, Well, hopefully the silver lining from this is that our politicians will get their act together and this will never happen again. And that'll be the end of that. Obviously, I was very wrong in that second one. And when we look at how the United States compares to every developed country in the world, we have by far, I mean, it's like comically vast, the the difference in the number of mass shootings. And what I wanna explore more today is helping folks understand that that's not by accident. There's no such thing as an accidental mass shooting. Uh, there's no accidents when it comes to guns. It's negligence. And, and it's the negligence of our electeds and the malice of our lobbyists uh, from the gun lobby that is allowing this to continue to happen. But all that to say, to answer your question, I'm seeing immense support. I'm seeing the conversation moving in the right direction. And hopefully we can activate more people off the sidelines, more young people, especially to play a meaningful role and ensure we accelerate that change to ensure true justice and safety for all people in this country.
0: Thank you for that. And I also remember watching Columbine when it happened a really, really long time ago. And I want to touch a little bit more about your experience and your experience, Graham, with how desensitized we've become and the way that the media portrays it. I currently have a two nephews, one who is in a junior in high school and one who is in fourth grade Um, and my little nephew comes home and explains like the different things that they have to do during their shooting drills Um, and the first time he told me about it I thought he was talking about an earthquake drill and I was like oh do you mean like when you go under your desk in case the earth shakes and I was trying to understand he's like no 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 this is if you know if a bad guy comes in this is what we do and he started explaining to me and I was like oh a shooting drill um, and we're in California. We, ha- we have those <laughs> now along with the earthquakes drill. So can you um, speak a little bit more to the different ways that you've seen over time since you know you witnessed Columbine, how we've become desensitized to these shootings and how the media p- plays a role in that?
2: I'm the father of three. My wife, Aisha, and I have three amazing kids. They're in elementary and uh, junior high school right now. And the the sheer thought of a shooting drill I think back to when I was in school in the 1980s and 90s, it seemed so bizarre at the time, just to kind of, you know, frame it. It seems so bizarre at that time, it would have been like, we should have a a meteor shower drill, right? In case an asteroid strikes earth, we should be ready for that, right? It would be that bizarre Or, or an alien abduction drill. If aliens come down, how do we prevent from being abducted, right? I mean, it makes no sense logically. And I have family and friends all over the world, Canada, UK, and Germany, and they look at me like, what world are you living in where this is okay? Especially when you realize that the leading cause of death for children in America is what? It's firearms. When you think about how individual toys or cribs are recalled because one child or one baby or a few babies tragically died, but now we have thousands of children being killed by firearms and there's nothing more than thoughts and prayers. And I find that offensive as a person of faith, because I believe in the power of thoughts and prayers, but I also believe that if you're not willing to act, then those thoughts and prayers are a mockery. And, and, and whatever faith you believe in, I think it's a mockery, because at the end of the day, your thoughts and prayers should be for yourself and it should be for others, but you need to take action along with that. And the lack of action in this space that's allowed us to be apathetic to it is enraging and infuriating. And and the role of media, the fourth estate, is to hold uh, those in power in check. And the lack of attention to this space to speak up for silenced and marginalized voices is truly shocking. Now, I'm grateful for the local media in Sandy Hook that didn't air the nonsense, I'm not gonna say his name for that right wing nut job, and he valiantly supported the Sandy Hook parents and they've gotten some level of, I won't say justice, but some level of accountability. But that said, that can't be the exception. We need that to be the norm. We need the narrative to be one in which when we talk about freedom we talk about liberty and life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness, it has to be grounded in reality. It has to be grounded in facts and data. And the facts and data show that you can have firearms, but with common sense and comprehensive gun safety legislation, you can do so while minimizing or nearly eliminating firearm deaths. There's no accident why countries like Sweden and Japan, the UK, Germany, all have less than 1% of the firearm deaths that we do. And they're not dictatorships. No one's, you know, no one's having their homes invaded by government tyranny or being denied free speech. On the contrary, all of these nations rank higher than the U.S. on the on the freedom index. They rank way higher than the U.S. on the peace and safety index, and they rank rank higher than the U.S. on the happiness index. Their their citizens are happier as well, and they're all thriving. You know, uh, democracies uh, with the with the capitalism based economy, and so we need to relinquish this lie that gun reform legislation means our freedoms are magically taken away. This is a propaganda claim. And quite the opposite is true. The gun reform legislation actually increases liberty and happiness because fewer people die and more people are, are living safer and healthier lives.
1: So what's coming? I mean, it's clear that there's a political lockup. It's a political freeze. Uh, and there's politics and bureaucracy behind that. It's clear that the media isn't uh, representing in a way that's healthy for the public, right? They're, they're sensationalizing sure. and they're they're putting it out so people can view, alerting the public, but they're just sensationalizing it and playing it, which causes this desensitization. So, what are these countries doing that's exactly different that our country is
2: not? Well, one, I think there's two elements that really, really important question, Graham. One element is that even the politicization here in the United States, there's a deep racial element behind it as well. Um, let's remember. It was a Republican governor, Ronald Reagan in California who banned open carry in California. A Republican, Uh, I mean, the icon of conservatism, the icon of what Republicanism is uh, before uh, uh, Trump came around and to many Republicans still to say, you know, Reagan is the epitome of what it means to be a Republican. Well, he's the one who banned open carry in California and why? Because the Black Panthers, who have been demonized as a militant terrorist organization in actuality, because the Black Panthers said, we're going to exercise our civil rights and we're going to open carry. And suddenly it was an outrage. And the same people who banned the Black Panthers from open carry are the ones championing the three, three percenter terrorist organization and the Oath Keeper or, uh, terrorist organization and the Prague terrorist organization. So the hypocrisy of it with the this element of white supremacy should be Free and clear for anyone to see, black, brown, and white. That's one element. The second thing that other nations are doing that the United States isn't is looking at what the proven models are. I'll give you a couple of really good examples, right? In the military, uh, my brother's a US Marine veteran, and you can ask any veteran this. In the military, to handle a firearm, you have to go through hours and hours and weeks and weeks and months and months of training. And firearm is kept separate from ammunition. You're not allowed to walk with a firearm on a military base. Uh, every single round is accounted for. Every magazine is accounted for. Uh, you have to have your firearm inspected. It goes through a thorough and detailed process. And that's why you don't have these kinds of mass shootings in the military. If, they, if you do, there are the exceptions to the rule. But the psychopath in uh, Uvalde who turned 18, went and bought an AR-15, and then massacred a bunch of children and teachers. That behavior was enabled by Greg Abbott, who said, we think this is a good idea. In the military, they realize if you're an 18-year-old kid, you're not trained to handle this weapon of war. We're going to train you and put strict parameters to make sure that you don't hurt yourself or somebody else. But apparently, the Second Amendment magically allows people to have any weapon of war out in the streets, according to these right-wing nutjobs. I know I'm using harsh language, but we're talking about the lives and deaths of children right now. You have a country like Japan that is, by all means, a thriving democracy. Nobody can argue that. But they have less than 10 firearm deaths per year. Because to apply for a firearm license, you have to do everything from show you've gone through the training, to show that you are uh, physically able, that you have a mental health checkup, you need to provide references. They do a background check upon you. You need to have a safe storage situation. You need to let let, know, let uh, law enforcement know where it's going to be stored. You need to carry ammunition separately. Ammunition is sold separately. You're only allowed to discharge it upon a shooting range. I mean, the the the, the requirements are so strict that if somebody has ill intent, they're not going to get access to a firearm. And if somebody has pure intent, they shouldn't have any difficulty getting access to a firearm. And and, and that's what we see happening in. In Switzerland, where there's mandatory military service. So, if you have a firearm, it's because you've had mandatory military service. And likewise, you go through intense training over and over and over again. If you want to go to the shooting range, you want to go hunting, you can by all means. But you go through this training to double check it. None of this means that uh, these countries are somehow backwards or dictatorships or draconian. None of this means that people aren't free or that they're not safe. Quite the contrary. The exact opposite is true. They are freer and safer. And these are all policies that should be implemented here. I'll give you one good example of how we tried to implement it here and the Republican hypocrisy behind it. Uh, when Mike Pence was governor of Indiana, he passed a red flag law. Red flag laws basically say that if a man or any person is being violent towards a spouse, in most cases it's men, men killed more than 1600 women a year in gender-based violence and their weapon of choice is a firearm, that they can petition the court, the court can issue a warrant, the warrant can be used to take away those firearms until the a person is of sound mind or they stop being violent. It's, it's a due process thing. It's not that they can just come in and take your guns. It goes through the court, goes through law enforcement. It's an actual process. And when Mike Pence was asked about this piece of legislation, he said that this is a blueprint for the entire nation because this is not anti-Second Amendment. It's a blueprint for the entire nation. I'm like, wow, that's an example of a man who is uh, putting principles above politics. Great. The Virginia General Assembly took a carbon copy of that bill and proposed it to be passed in Virginia. The same Republicans that praised Mike Pence for his red flag law in Indiana suddenly called this a gun grab communist takeover. Exact same bill, carbon copy. But when a Republican governor passed it, it was a blueprint for the nation. And that's a quote, I'm not paraphrasing, it's a quote. And when Democrats passed the exact same bill, it's a communist takeover absurd, and people are dying as a result of it. So, so that's where I think we as citizens need to be active and engage and organize and hold these politicians' feet to the fire, because right now we're literally in the firing line of extremists with firearms, and there's very little being done about it. Sorry, I get fired up about this stuff, not to keep using the fire analogy.
1: No, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. A lot of really powerful things were said right now. So I'm thinking about like root causes as you're talking and I'm thinking, you know, the laws that have been passed thus far are essentially reactive laws. They're reacting to a shooting. They're reacting. They're they're placing laws into the books that essentially stop things from this moment forward, but don't do anything about the actual cause. So like, what do you, what do you suppose some of the causes of uh, like the development of the mass shooter? What, what do you uh, suppose is the root of that? Well,
2: I remember Mass shootings are just one element of it, right? It's the proliferation of guns in general. You're talking more than 40,000 gun deaths a year. And it's a it's this perfect storm of injustice that's leading us here. One element is the lack of universal health care, right? This is a key component because of those 30,000 annual deaths, my math might be off on this a little bit, but I want to say 10,000 or more are death by suicide and the leading cause of death by suicide is a firearm. And so if people are struggling with mental health or depression or suicidal thoughts, and they don't have access to healthcare, then we're making it easier for them to harm and kill themselves. And that's a problem. Imagine if somebody suffering from depression could get psychiatric or psychological treatment to prevent them from getting access to a firearm and therefore, committing this this horrible, horrible act of killing themselves. Imagine how much pain people would be spared, family members would be spared. I know parents who've lost their child to death by suicide with a firearm. And just the pain is unimaginable of what they're going through. So one element is a lack of universal healthcare. Other nations that I mentioned have universal healthcare as a a human right, as a guaranteed right. We don't have that. And so uh, the second aspect of it is the wealth and income inequality that we're suffering through right now. The United States right now suffers some more wealth and income inequality than at any point in our nation's history, including post-Great Depression. And that should make us reflect, because when people who are low income are suffering and are struggling and don't have any means out, then when you have nothing to lose, bad things happen as well. And so providing that basic economic justice has to be a key component of it. Uh, The studies show that for every $1 an hour uh, uh, increase of minimum wage, suicide rates drop by 1%, right? So there's a massive economic element of this as well that that can't be ignored. Um, The the, the third aspect of it, I think, is the recognition that gun violence is a lot like a pandemic, right? And and we're going through COVID right now, and, and hopefully we've seen the worst of it. But if you recall, we talked about social distancing we talked about staying away from large groups. And if you're sick, don't travel because you can transport it because viruses don't know boundaries, right? They don't know borders. They don't care what's, you know, Mexico or America or Canada. They don't care what's Illinois or Indiana or Wisconsin. They have, it, it, It's a virus. Gun violence works the same way. And and the, the anti-gun reform folks will say, well, look at Chicago, look at how much gun violence is in Chicago. The first thing it tells me is they're ignorant because Chicago is not even in the top 25 for most gun violence, uh, from a gun gun violence rate. Uh, It's like around 30th. But the bigger thing is that even the gun violence in Chicago is not due to guns from Chicago. It's due to guns from Indiana and Wisconsin, which are right around the corner that have very lax gun laws. So if I want to usurp the system and I want a firearm in Chicago, I have to go through the painstaking step of driving 15 minutes further across the border, getting a firearm and and bringing it back. And so for gun reform legislation to truly work on a national scale, it has to be federal. It just, it simply has to be federal. And and we know the data backs up. Nine of the top 10 most violent states for gun deaths are Republican-led states that have lax or no gun reform legislation. Nine of the 10 safest are democratic states. In fact, I think all top ten safest with the lowest gun deaths and lowest gun violence are democratic states that have comprehensive and common sense gun reform. And guess what? Those ten democratic states are by no means communist dictatorships where people can't get make a living. That's where the majority of the Americans live as well. So, so you have this 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 like three headed monster of lack of health care, economic injustice, and lack of a comprehensive federal legislation to gun reform. And, and then you add this, this very violent spark of racism and white supremacy and misinformation, and you get to where we are right now. And, and you wonder, how is it not more than 40,000 deaths? Even though 40,000 is an atrocious number in and of itself, the reality is, is that this number is not gonna get any better unless we take meaningful action to address all three of those things together.
0: I, I love how much information and stats you have stored in your mind. I learned so much with, with that sentence. Um, I am a strong believer, and I talk about this in season two, is that the United States sets a lot of systems of desperation. Um, I believe I talk about it in the, in the robbery episode, Graham, where, where you were a guest, um, of setting up a lot of systems of desperation. Um, and then we punish the person Um, when they react to that, or when they do the things that they need to do in order to survive. Um, So I I talk about that in regards to the episode on robberies. And I am also a strong advocate for healthcare, mental health services. I also believe that if we were to invest on that, invest on preventing these things, um, it could help the issue a lot. um, Because I know that when mass shootings happen, that's the number one topic we talk about in the media and then it dies down again and then we have another shooting and then it comes back again um yep. Yep. yeah so i'm wondering if for the next time unfortunately there would be a next time um one of the things that we talk about this season a lot is media literacy or what are the different things that we can look at in the media so we don't buy into the, you know, the propaganda or, you know, the different ways that the media is upholding white supremacy. What are the different things that we can look at when the next time we see in the news that a shooting happened? Um, is there anything aside from this, this, these stats and the, this list that you gave us um, that you think our listeners should, should keep an eye on?
2: Yes. Look. A beautiful question, um, Crystal, really a a beautiful question, because I think this strikes at the core of the solution to this maelstrom of, of mayhem that we're in. And that is that the purpose of media as the fourth estate is to hold government accountable, right? It's to hold power in check, it's to expose injustice. That's why our founders, as flawed as they were, ensured that a free press, free speech was the First Amendment, right? It was part of the, was the core, the foundation stone of the Bill of Rights. Even before guns, they said free speech just has to be at the core. And we have to remember that, right? That we, we must protect that aspect of it. And the only way that's going to be effective is if each of us play an active role in building a government that's by, of, and for the people. I'll give you one really good example. Just recently, there was a mass shooting in North Carolina. Five people killed. And what was truly tragic about this is that North Carolina State Legislature had proposed a bill that was basically an Amber Alert for mass shootings that would allow the government to send a mass text message to where the shooter was located and warn them to shelter in place. There's a mass shooter at large. Go inside, lock your doors, close your windows, hide, just stay the hell out of the public sight. Very common sense bill. Didn't even talk about taking away your guns. Didn't talk about any kind of gun safety legislation. It just said, let us warn people just like we would if there's a tornado coming or a hurricane coming, just like we would if there was a fire or if there's an accident, you can warn people. Let's warn them that there's a mass shooter alert. The Republicans killed the bill, they killed it. And innocent people who otherwise would have been warned died because there's no way to inform them quickly that there's a mass shooter. I say all that to bring up that Republicans in the North Carolina legislature then issued their condolences, their thoughts, and their prayers at this atrocity. What media needs to do to those people is to expose them for the hypocrites and frauds that they are and hold them accountable for the innocent people that died as a result of their callousness and apathy. And the way we do that is not just by exposing their records, but by being active in your own local politics. Get active in your school board. Get active in your board of supervisors, your city council your mayoral elections, your state and your uh, your state uh, House and state Senate elections. We all talk about voting for president and voting for the vice president, and that's fine, that's important. But those aren't the folks who are going to impact you on the local level. They're just not. That's just not the way government works. You're going to be impacted on the local level by wh- who your local mayor is. How many people listening to this podcast can can tell themselves right now my local mayor is mayor so-and-so. If you can't, that's a problem. Who is your city council person? Who's your alder person? Who is your school board representative? If you don't know the answer to these questions, you're enabling the problems that we're in right now. And that sounds harsh, but I want you to hold yourself to that level of accountability. And if you find out who these people are and you find out that they're good people that are supporting these issues of justice and reform and safety, then support them not just with your vote, but knock doors for them. If you can donate a few bucks, throw a few bucks at them. Make phone calls for them. Maybe you've got a special skill of smoke signals and training pigeons. Do that and get the word out for them, whatever works. But be involved. And guess what? If you can't find a good person on the local level, they're all these extremists who believe that we should be arming toddlers with rifles, then do something bold and run for office yourself be that change yourself and i'm especially talking to young people i'm especially talking to women i'm especially talking to immigrants i'm talking to anybody raised on welfare anybody who's been through the prison system before who sees this injustice firsthand i'm talking to you especially because it's your voices who have been the most marginalized from this conversation and so when it comes to to media media's going to respond to what is gonna get clicks. If it bleeds, it leads, that's the old saying. And so what we need to get clicks are things that actually involve justice. And that happens, look at yourself, look at your local community and make that change locally. That will transform your state and your national politics as well.
1: I love everything you just said. Crystal and I have had a a million conversations uh, about this subject because I mean, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I think a lot of people are unaware of just how disenfranchised folks feel. Like being previously incarcerated, I came home and my thinking in terms of justice was I did the crime, I did the time. And it took a series of courses and engaging in the community that I'm in now to actually realize just how attached to the political system I am. And the media definitely uh, like reinforces this because they make it seem like an outside project. Like Mm -hmm. everything that's all you do is cast a vote and that's all that matters. And they encourage you to cast a vote, but not much else. But in doing what Crystal and I get to do now, Uh, we have been able to become entrenched in what's happening both locally and on a statewide level. And you see just how the system is designed to tell people you're outside of it, even though you're not. That's a really powerful statement. Uh, Like in terms of the media and how they represented, uh, let's say, Evaldi, which is a terrible tragedy. uh, The media at first, from my memory, and I could be remembering wrong, but from my memory, uh, they tried to represent it objectively and also uh, lean support on essentially the police, like the police were doing their job. It was the public. It was the actual people of Uvalde who continually spoke up and continually cried out and said something terrible happened here so that the media began to pay attention. And they regretfully leaned into the conversation on what really took place. And we see the result now. So yeah, thank you for everything you just said. That was amazing.
2: Graham, you're right. I mean, I I recall Greg Abbott saying that these heroes ran in and they stopped the shooting and the media just unapologetically ran with it. But yeah, that that must have been what happened uh, when George Floyd was killed. He, the, the, the law enforcement headline uh, press release was "man dies in medical incident." What the hell? Like, are you kidding me? You, you know, you you completely ignore the actual murder, and you call and media ran with that. Uh, all all well and good. Uh, Ahmad Arbery, another example, right? Where you know a uh, man was burglarizing and you know, tried to take these guns and he, he you know, was killed in self-defense when, and, and then there was the, the video that obviously, you know, blew up in the case. And, and so that's where I ask people not to become disillusioned or disheartened because it's very easy to, it's very easy to, and, and I can't blame you for being frustrated or angry, but I can blame you for giving up. Because we don't have the luxury of giving up. that that can't be an option because it's not just you you're fighting for. You're fighting for the next generation. You're fighting for your nephews, your nieces, your kids. Uh, heck, you're fighting for your parents who, who may not be in a position to fight anymore. And so think about the people counting on you and think about the change that you can make and 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 this is why I say, there's nobody who can hold you accountable more than yourself. And it's gotta come, in my view intrinsically, where you gotta put put the burden on yourself and say, look, I will do, better today than yesterday. And that better today might be, it might be I'm gonna vote for the first time in my life. And to that person, I say, I, I applaud you and I champion you and I give you a, a virtual high five. When I see you in real life, I'll give you a real high five, right? I mean, I think it's awesome. But then next time, think about the step beyond that. What's the step beyond voting as well? Because uh, you know, I don't know about you, I grew up playing sports. Even though I'm older now, I still pretend like I know how to play sports. But if there's one thing, you know, at sports is you don't show up on the day of the championship and say, okay, now let's get to work, right? That that day is nine months earlier uh, after you've had a break from the last season. And you say, let me put in the work now. Let me do the two a days. Let me put in the extra mile. Let me have the weight room an extra time. Let me watch my diet. Let me make sure I'm drinking enough water. So when I get to the championship day, I'm ready to execute. And that's what election day is like. I consider like, you know, the championship day. If you've done the work made the phone calls, knocked the doors, sent the text messages, you know, th- then the pigeon couriers whatever it is, then on election day that vote is a layup. It's the last step to make it whole and if you do, if you do it right, we're able to elect people actually committed to justice.
0: I have a I have a I think what can possibly be a tough question um, and every time a mass shooting happens uh you had the stop process with Columbine. Columbine is this is the one. This is the one that's going to change things. Same thing with Sandy Hook. Um, same thing with the current elementary school that happened. Um, it, because I actually do want to mention that for the one in Stone Douglas, we criticized and we shamed the officer who stayed outside and didn't go in. We got angry at the cops. Uh, Uh, who also stayed out and didn't go in. And we saw the mom run in for her two little boys. And I am in the personal belief that we should build a world and a society where even cops don't have to run in into a building that's flying with bullets. But my question is, um, every time that happens, I get so hopeful and I see a lot of people sharing and I see a lot of people crying over the tragedy. And I know that the students from the Stone Douglas a lot of them became activists and a lot of them went to different shows to speak about this and they still are i see like their tiktoks Wh- why do you think it kind of dies down and what do you think that somebody ordinary and normal like me can do um is it what you said the tiktoks the voting um what do you think is that missing piece that it just kind of dies down
2: great question crystal i think there's a couple things i think one it is important to recognize the progress we've made we have made steps forward. I mean, look at the work that Moms Demand does every town. I mean, they, they've made meaningful progress and they could cite you the hundreds of bills that they've passed on a local state level. And now for the first time on the federal level on gun safety. So we are making progress. And sometimes it's hard to see that, but I think it's important to acknowledge that because it's not like we're spinning our wheels and stuck in mud. We may not be on the racetrack the way we want to be, but we're definitely making progress uh, in, in some respect or other. So it's one thing. Two, I think the reason why it dies down is it's the nature of the way the media cycle has become. We're constantly running after the the next shiny thing. Uh, At least when I say we, I mean media, right? Uh, And it's driven not by justice or the needs of society, but it's driven by what's going to get more clicks and headlines. I mean, Queen Elizabeth dying. I mean, God rest her soul, sure. But my God, did that need to be in the media cycle for six weeks? Right? I mean, it's like, all right, we get it but there's a lot more important things 1 in 9 kids are going hungry you know uh 22 veterans a day are dying by suicide uh 600,000 Americans a year are dying due to lack of healthcare like there's things that we can be talking about we heard about the pakistan floods but not nearly as much as we heard about the paris uh cathedral that burned down and most people don't even know that there were floods in nigeria that that were devastating and so and so there is it dies down because of, of things like that and and the solution is for people to be involved locally. And, and actually, you know, I, I want to uh, bring back another really important point you made, Crystal, about if you truly believe that if you are one of the hardcore Blue Lives Matter uh, people, right? I'm not going to sit here and convince you that it's a, it, it doesn't make sense because you're trying to equate a, an occupation with skin color. And I'm not going to argue with you about why that, is just illogical and downright offensive in many respects, but I will say this to you. If you truly believe that, then you of all people would want common sense gun reform because the people who suffer the most uh, or who have the potential of suffering the most, I don't wanna say suffer the most, who have the potential of suffering the most, are law enforcement. If you're a law enforcement officer and you arrive at a scene of a mass shooting and every Yahoo's got his gun out, how do you know who's the best shooter and who's not? How, you know How many more law enforcement officers are killed because there's a proliferation of weapons out there? Or because there's bigger weapons out there, or you got bulletproof vests. Vests, well, great. Now they're coming up with bullet-piercing, uh, you know, bulletproof vest-piercing bullets. And you know, where does it end? Um, I, I was at an event once, and uh, there's a sheriff on, and we were. It was a political event, and I was speaking, and he said to me, "He goes, look, just offline. You know, where are you on guns?" And I explained it to him, just like I did on the show. And he goes, well, see, that makes sense to me. And I'm a lifelong carrying member of the NRA. I'm like, well, then speak up as a sheriff, speak up. He goes, yeah, I would, but it's just going to be too much of a backlash from the NRA lobby. I'm like, well, that, that's unfortunate because people are dying. And I, I would hope that you would express the courage that they need you to have to speak up about this. The reality is this. If if people think that law enforcement is safer by having more guns out there, then they're not looking at the data and the statistics. They're actually ignoring them altogether. And a lot of these pieces of gun from legislation are actually supported by sheriff's associations because they recognize that our deputies will be safer out there if we know the only people who have firearms are the ones who are supposed to have firearms. That disconnect, I don't know why media uh, doesn't, well actually I do know why media doesn't talk about that because it doesn't get clicks or, or, or leads, but. That's a narrative I think we can be very adamant about, very deliberate about and say that this is not just a matter of keeping civilians safe. It's also a matter of keeping law enforcement safe and, and ensuring a community is more cohesive as a whole as a result of it.
0: Thank you for uh, giving us and giving me a, a little bit of hope there because it, it can feel very hopeless a lot of the time um, and, and scary. Um, so what did we miss? Is there anything that you would like to say to you know, our listeners before we hop off?
2: I, I think we covered it. I, I just want to really double down on this point of every person taking personal ownership and personal accountability over your town, your city, your state. Own it on a very, very personal level, because that's where meaningful reform comes from. It's not going to come from top down. It's always going to come from bottom up. Think about whether you voted in the midterm elections and think about what role you're going to play before the next elections. Uh, And play a critical and meaningful role so that just like at the end of every championship, you can sit there exhausted on the court or the field and ask yourself if you really gave it your all. After every election, you should ask yourself, did I really do everything I possibly could to make sure that everyone in my circle voted? I don't drink alcohol. I was always the designated driver in college. But that was my worry that I make sure I got every one of my drunk friends so that nobody drove home drunk. You know, take that approach with voting. Make sure that you're the person that people can rely on and trust, and call, and that you can have the, the resources for them to get registered, to get to the ballot box, to vote, to know who they're voting for, and then to activate them for the next election. So we can build your coalition as well.
0: Thank you so much. And then, lastly, is there any project or anything that you're working on um, that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: You know, projects. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. Working on trying to elect the first Democrat mayor to the city of Naperville in Illinois. I'm pretty excited about that. It'd be the first non-white person elected ever as well, which would be kind of historic. Um, I am, I, I'm just really focused on making sure people vote and making sure people are active. Uh, if you want to support my work, you can follow me on across social media at Qasim Rashid, uh, just my name Q A S I M R A S H I D. I also run a pack called Common Purpose. Where we try to elect more women and people of color to office. And uh, I, I think it's my way of just being active and involved. So, to whatever extent you want to play a role, come check us out. I've got my Serious XM radio show that airs every Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern on channel 126. But, uh, bottom line, I think the, the, the one message I want to ask people is whether it's me or somebody else, just be involved, be involved, be engaged, play an active role in the shaping of our future because uh, you you deserve uh, a country that uh, treats you with justice and your next generation deserves that same thing as well. And the beauty of it is that despite all the, the trash and garbage out there, you have the ability to cut through it and make it happen. You just need to believe it and then act upon it.
0: been listening to abolitionist for everybody be sure to follow us at abolitionist underscore on instagram twitter and facebook for regular updates
1: if you want to continue to support this podcast and our work overall you can donate to support initiate justice at initiatejustice.org